Hi everyone, I'm Amanda and this is my wife Ashley and this is Polar Opposites. Welcome to episode one of our show where we hope to show you the normal side of an average marriage, make you laugh, and maybe we can all learn a little something too. The idea is that we're not only madly in love and living life together, but also complete opposites. So every week we'll each bring a few things to share with the other about our individual interests and share any fun anecdotes about the week. To get started, let's share a little about ourselves. I'm Amanda, I'm a massive bookworm, a history lover, true crime, and news aficionado, and a mom. And I am Ashley, and as you guessed it, a polar opposite of Amanda. I enjoy the outdoors, occasional hunting. A video game here or there. Let's get started. Okay, so this is Amanda. I'm going to go first this week. So this story comes from BBC History magazine. Is that a British magazine? It sure is. Um, And Ashley likes to make fun of me for reading pretty much any and everything that I can find. So this is an article called um, The History Detective by Dr. Nell Darby. Um, She investigates cold cases. So this one's called The Mystery of the Vanishing Widow. Sounds interesting. So it is the story of 64-year-old Louisa Lee. She was a widow living alone who went missing in April of 1939. She had been married a few times and she had a pension from one of her husbands after he died. And then in 1939, a secretary at that company where her former husband had worked began to question some letters and checks, and it's checks spelled C-H-E-Q-U-E-S. How quaint. Yes. Um, That were sent and signed by Louisa. So this secretary believed that these letters, these checks were not authentic. So the solicitor for the company, solicitor is a lawyer, decided before they paid out any more money, they needed Louisa to come in person and show herself. So a letter came from Louisa that it wasn't a convenient time for her to visit, and the company decided to call the police, which I thought was really forward of them. Good for them for you know, calling the police. My right off the bat, same question is like, how long has she been dead at this point? Well, it gets even weirder because uh, it turned out that she had done nothing with any of this money or with her home since that April. She had just disappeared. So more letters started coming from Louisa, in quotes. But then, and this is why I decided to pick this story. I thought this was so interesting. World War II broke out, and the offices of that company where her husband had worked were hit by a German bomb, and it destroyed everything. So the investigation took a backseat to the war. And remember, she disappeared, and they started noticing things in 1939. So the investigation was not resumed until 1952. That was how long the war was lasting that whole time? Well, no, but by the time they, you know, rebuilt the building, got everything back up and running, and somebody was like, hey, remember that lady that went missing? And she hadn't touched that money. No. Um, Over a decade later, here we are. So there was a suspect. His name was Charles Seed, who at that point had moved to Canada. He said he had nothing to do with it, but he had a theory, which is so helpful. How nice of him. He said that maybe she got married and decided not to tell any of her friends and changed her name and just disappeared. He didn't say why she would do this or who she was married to or any details. He just thought that was a good theory. Did he know, like, how did they come up with him? Like, did he know her or something? So it didn't really say. It seemed like, yeah, like, maybe he had been working for her or, yeah, something like that. I mean, she seemed like a ballsy lady, so maybe she was even dating him or something. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I... 
I hate to leave you with nothing, but she was declared dead in 1954. Nobody was ever found. No one was ever charged. Um, I loved it because it was true crime, but I love the thought of World War II came and it just, that was it. It was almost like really perfect timing for whoever did do something to her. That was very like cliffhanger-ish. You I know. Nothing more about Nothing. That. That's it. I actually did not. So maybe we'll have to take this, maybe we'll have to come back to this yeah, maybe. and just see. Yeah. You know, see what's going on with that. That's a good, that's a good idea. I think it is, yeah. Um, and it's a court case involving a 61-year-old woman who allegedly attacked three Vermont hunters with bear spray. She was 61? Yeah. Ooh. And before I go any further, like, just to kind of put this in, like, perspective, bear spray is lethal. Like, you're taking this out to protect yourself from a literal bear. So, I mean, getting sprayed with that is going to be just detrimental, I feel like. Can I ask a question? Is, Is bear spray similar to pepper spray? Yeah, but I think it's just, like, way worse. Oh, oh, gosh. It comes in, like, a way bigger, like, can, and it shoots farther. <gasps> I mean, you got to think about what you're using. It right, for. right. Um, so, this is all from Butch. He's one of the hunters. Real name is Ellsworth, but he goes by Butch. Um, so, pretty much the start of this is he's at her arraignment, and he just pretty much says, hey, every time she has an arraignment, we're going to go to it. Um, it took place in Groton County on July 10th, which is the middle of the state's hounding, hound training session. I'm emphasizing training because there wasn't actually any bear hunting going on in this particular instance. Okay. Bear hunting in Vermont doesn't actually start till September 1st, but wow. the state allows hunters to actually train their dogs from June 1 to September 15th. Okay. So really kind of what happened was these guys were just driving down like an old dirt road. When she just stepped out in the middle of the road and blocked them. <gasps> and there was an adult hunter and a minor in the car. So there's like three all together. Butch, another guy, and this kid. Wait, wait. So they were driving down the road. Yeah, yeah. They were in their car and she just stopped, stopped them in the middle. It doesn't say this, but what I kind of figure is like she saw them coming. Because when you have these hound trucks, they have little holes in the side. So the dogs just stick their heads out while they're driving. Okay. So you can kind of see, you know, what's going on. So it's not like they were in, I guess I kind of got the impression they were in her backyard and like stepped out accidentally. So she just kind of was almost stalking them when she realized what they were doing. I mean, yeah. Wow. And kind of, Butch had said she started just hurling insults at them. And then she unloaded an entire <gasps> can of bear spray through the window of the truck. So they weren't even out of the car. No. They stayed in the they stayed in the truck the whole time. Correct. They were just driving. Wow. Sixty one year old woman comes out and just pretty much says like Oh, that's so scary. That. Um and again, this is also kind of being a cliffhanger because she's still going through like the court filings and everything. They have video of it, but <clears> it has not they haven't released it. Was this just June of this year? It was June of this wow. year. Wow. Yeah, so okay. Just the end of September, she just went on, uh, you know, trial. She's a charged with assault. Um, and then I'll kind of keep you updated on this one as well, just to kind of see what happens. But I thought that was just crazy. Wow. Good one. See, I never would have heard that because it was sort of an outdoorsy, huntery story. And that's where polar outfits came from, folks. <laughs>
Okay, so we do have a guest. Um, it's little Teddy who's going to be making some noise, I think. Um, so my second story is a little bit lighthearted. <laughs> Teddy's, Teddy's getting kicked out of our podcasting room. Um, so this is from PC Mag. Is that British? No, it's uh, like Personal Computer Magazine. You know, Amanda really enjoys an, a Texas Monthly as well. <laughs> I do love Texas <laughs> Monthly. When the new epi- uh, the new issue comes out, just wait. And I'm sure I'll have some articles oh, from there. Uh, so this is an article by Emily Drybalis. It's called Here's Why Craigslist Still Looks the Same After 25 Plus Years. That's so true. Craigslist is just so weird. Yeah. So much going on with that. And have you ever thought about that until I just said that sentence? Are they still doing Craigslist dating, though? At some point I thought that went away, but apparently not. I think that part went away. That wasn't addressed. Um, I it Was not was it dating or was it the, um, like... What's the other one? That's like personal ads. I think yeah, that's like I what saw went away. Shop yeah. Um, so this was super interesting. It's an interview with the founder of Craigslist, whose name is Craig Newmark. Um, so think about Craigslist. It hasn't been updated at all. They only released their first mobile app in 2019. And Craigslist itself, the website, came out in 1995. So you were only two. Oh. <laughs> crazy about that too like if you think about how many updates like our cell phone does and facebook and swearing like everything's always updating all the time and for this to be the same thing since 1995 is just that's just bananas to me it's funny that you say that because that was pretty much the beginning of the article i kind of skipped it in my recap but that was really the beginning of this whole article is how you know look at facebook compared to when it came out it's a whole different website and craigslist has not changed at all no um, so Craig Newmark is currently not the CEO anymore. He stepped down in 2000 because others felt that he wasn't cut out for management, which is interesting. Did you say his age? Uh, no, I, th- I want to say he's in his 60s. Okay, so he is still pretty young. Yes. He could definitely run the company, I guess, if he chose to yeah um he's still a part owner um but basically what he does is he's a philanthropist full-time um he's giving away his money um he's almost a billionaire not quite since he's giving so much away he has that that kind of weird rich people thing i've literally never heard of this guy yeah and it you'll see in a minute why i why i wanted to talk about him because he's he's kind of a cool guy um he loves costco hot dogs that's not why i want to talk about him but what a great thing to love never invented costco (laughs) um he was asked if there's anything that he splurges on and he said well i have a bigger tv and here we go he allows himself to buy as many books as he wants so this is okay. I knew there was some sort of kind of Craig, I love you. Um, he also likes to buy his friends things, and this was really, really cute. He said, the woman who does his finances, which I would assume is his accountant. That I thought it was a weird way to say it. Um, but she likes Hello Kitty, so he buys her Hello Kitty things. So there's a store near his house, and he likes to go there and buy her Hello Kitty things, which I, I thought was adorable. No. I mean, she's his accountant, so she's not you know (laughs) she's not in high school um so the main question that the interviewer wanted to know is why does craigslist still look the same so this is a quote from him he said because that serves people better i've learned that people want stuff that is simple and fast and gets the job done people don't need fancy stuff sometimes you just want to get through the day and she kind of pushed him a little bit further um she asked several more questions about that and then finally at the end he said can you give she said sorry can you give me a concise answer 
as to why Craigslist still looks the same. And he said, and this is a quote again, people tell me it gets the job done. They want it done. As I like to put it, a nerd's got to do what a nerd's got to do. You know, I like feel like that's really relevant to me specifically because simple life. Like, I would love to be able to, like, grow own vegetables and, like, be a homestead. Like, that's funny that he says that. Like, it just gets the job done. You know, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and Craigslist was started as, like, a, you know, a personal ad type listing, like those lists in the in the newspaper, and that's still what it is. I mean, if you want to buy something on Craigslist, you just go there and you know how to do it. That was a good one, Amanda. Thanks. Very good. Ooh, I'm curious to see why. Yeah. Ooh. Um, he's already been sentenced. Everything's good. He was sentenced to 117 months in prison. <gasps> oh, I <laughs> thought you were going to say years. That's a couple of, uh, that's definitely a long time. Um, so really, what kind of had happened was, he had just been cited for a simple fishing violation. Okay. It doesn't say specifically, but, I mean, fishing violations can be anywhere from not having a fishing license to taking over the fishing limit of that species. I mean, I think you're talking the most to, you know, four, six hundred dollars. So it's not anything that's, you know, going to be, like, losing your mind over or losing your house over. And probably just a fine, right? Unless it was, you know, his fifth or sixth violation. He's not going to be looking at any type of jail time, right? That's true. Yep, that's exactly true. Um, and just to give some back context, well, it started in October of 2020. Okay. That same year, so I guess I should go back. After he got these violations, he said to his friends and family, like, I'm going to kill this guy. <gasps> so Christmas Eve of 2020. So oh, my just gosh. Just a couple months later, his friend picked him up and brought him to the officer's house. He yelled, cursed him out. Um, then also... Apparently, like, this kid was his friend, pulled a gun on his own friend, and was like, drive, and look for this guy, because he realized he wasn't home. He had been watching the officer's house for weeks, weeks. Um, he had access from t- he had access to TNT, um, oh ex-military member, so he said he was going to wire the explosives to the officer's truck and throw dynamite through the windows. Oh my gosh. Uh... The friend, quote-unquote, said he didn't want to accompany him. He felt very unsafe. He feared for his life. Um, so he dropped the guy off at home and then instantly called the police. Oh, good, good. They So he calls the police, and the cops go to his house to arrest him. He leaves, jumps into a car with a woman. They take off. The officers eventually get him, and they arrest him with a forty five caliber revolver, which, again... I don't know what clientele is listening to this story, but that's a pretty that's a pretty heavy gun. My father has something very similar that they use in Alaska to protect themselves from like grizzly bears. Wow. So yes, yeah, it's, it's big. Um, and what I kind of thought was interesting about this is the police interviewed his mom, who was fully aware that he wanted <gasps> to do this, and she just didn't even didn't think to tell anyone. Didn't yeah, she was like oh whatever. Um, you know, so he obviously was sentenced and. That's it. But I just thought that was like, that's really crazy. Wow. I mean, when you said he was plotting to kill him, I would have thought like, 
maybe to shoot him or something, but TNT and that's pretty intense. Yeah, it is. And to be so young for a simple fishing violation. And here's the thing too. Even if you had to say this was like his fifth fishing violation, the worst that's going to happen is you're not going to be able to fish for either a year or they could take it away for life. But is it worth Compared it? Compared to 117 months in jail. Right, I mean, this kid's obviously mentally ill. That's insane. Okay, so my last story um, is a little bit different, but now that we've talked about mental illness, that actually is really appropriate for my next story. This was not planned. <laughs> um, so this was in Bloomberg Business Week. American magazine. <laughs> by John Tazi, um, and it was called Mental Health Crisis Leads Hospitals to Create a New Type of ER. So... As you probably know, most people in a mental health emergency are brought to the ER and they stay there until it's safe to either discharge them or transfer them to a psych ward, which is usually the only choice that anybody has. There's no real treatment for mental health. It ties up the ER beds for people who may be experiencing, you know, physical illness. Um, it's just not a good system. So some hospitals are trying what are called mental health crisis units. And the goal is they're trying to treat people quickly in a calm setting so they can be stabilized and then sent home. I like that a lot. And I'm going to touch on something. When you're done, I want to touch on something, but this, I like where this is going. Yeah, so um, the assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California, his name is Scott Zeller, he says, quote, there's no other emergency in the ER where the default treatment is to find them a bed. And I loved that because that's so accurate. So he developed a method to improve the care and avoid too much time in the ER. Um, it's called EMPATH, which stands for Emergency Psychiatric Assessment Treatment and Helping. So it's kind of a, a big name, but um, it definitely makes sense. So what it is, is there's an open room with recliners, soft lighting, a TV, card tables. So patients who are medically stable, they'll be seen by a specialist within an hour and started on any meds that they need. Currently, there's 24 of these empath centers in the U.S., but more are being developed right now. At the average hospital, almost 30% of the hospital beds are occupied by people who are experiencing a mental health emergency. So now, with these centers, patients are spending an average of less than two hours in the ER waiting, and only one in four of them need to be admitted as an inpatient. Is this already going on at this point, or is this something that wants to be future developed? No, there's 24 of them right now, with more being developed. I like this because it's very similar to what the schools are doing now. They're bringing the kids into that room, and they're saying, hey, just relax in here. So I think it's great for the, you know, for the adults to also get that type of help. I agree. Um, so the goal is to get out of the ER, of course, which is loud, it's bright, it's scary, especially if you're already experiencing a mental health crisis. So these empath centers are comfortable. They've got group activities like board games. There's stations for snacks and water and blankets. It's supposed to be more like a living room um, to keep people calm. I mean, imagine you're having some type of crisis and you're in the ER, which is really awful. I mean, I've, I've we've all been there. It's it's not a fun place. So imagine that on a scale of mental crisis. I like that. And the point that I wanted to just touch on was, you know, you read a lot in the news these days that someone who's having a mental crisis and the police get involved, like that's something that sometimes leads to death for the person. So I think it's good as to say, like, come with us, we'll take you to the hospital where you can, like, relax. I mean, 
you almost could take this as far as like domestic violence situations, not as like physically, but you know, if you're having a fight with someone or whatever the case and you need to just lay low for a minute, why not be able to go here and just relax yeah that's a really good point um i didn't even think about the police aspect so one doctor says i loved this quote we want to keep people safe you can't reverse suicide which fantastic yeah Yeah, again great. great um and then just one last quote there's a growing understanding that this crisis is not going away um which i think is kind of the base of the whole thing this it's not going away it's getting worse we've got to do something um we have a daughter who is autistic she has anxiety sometimes she struggles with depression so i mean if if she was having some type of crisis and wasn't maybe on the right medicine or something i would love the idea that she could go sit in a recliner and um you know get help that kind of help rather than sit in an emergency room with people yelling and and i think mental health affects so many just great to have for people that maybe don't you don't know that they have an issue but then they can catalyze on this yeah i thought it was a, a really good thing to touch on yeah that was a good one good job Amanda. thanks it's not going to be a super long one but no. um i think this was a really cool story that i happened upon good um so hunting season is different in each state but usually they don't last long in any state. You have a portion for crossbowing, a portion for rifles, a portion for muzzle loading. So each of those don't last a super long time. Okay. And in Wisconsin, uh, this couple owned, you know, a whole bunch of land where they would hunt on every year, so on and so forth. A nine-year-old man was driving (gasps) down their street and happened to see two massive deer i have the photos here interlocked so it's during the rut and what that really means is the male deer want to breed with a female deer and they just go crazy and it's a really great time to hunt because their mind is so much on the female deer that they are not worried about anything else no other smells no other differences oh interesting yeah so it's a i mean people really capitalize on that portion of this hunting season so this nine-year-old man sees these two deer that are completely locked up. And when I say locked up, it means that while they are fighting, their antlers got intertwined together and they could not take them off. Okay. And I've seen this before and the deer end up just dying. Like they just literally, they literally can't get them off. No, and they just die of starvation, exhaust, you know, exhaustion, whatever the case may be. I'd like a little bit of credit because when you said that they were interlocked, that's what I pictured. So. I mean, you've been around me, which is great. <laughs> So, the um, Keenan is the last name of the gentleman who owns the property. Uh, he came out with, it says um, partner, so I'm just going to assume it's a female, but I guess you can't in 2022. But, so he goes out with his crossbow, and he's <sighs> like, all right, you know, let's see what's going on. He gets there, they drive the deer into the woods, so now they're in the woods. He cocks his crossbow back, and he's like, you know what, I just can't, like, you don't feel right about doing this. Puts the crossbow down, goes home, gets one of those, and I don't remember the name specifically, but it's one of those little machines that have the disc on it. You can, like, cut through metal and things oh, like that. Oh, I know what you're talking so about. So he literally went and just cut <gasps> the antlers of one of the deer to free them. And they, like, were, sta- I mean, obviously they were scared, but, like, 
Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. That is nuts that they allowed him to... Wow! So, I mean, he said he didn't feel ethical. Um, You know, he was like, he said to Tammy, which, okay, that mystery (laughs) is not solved. Oh, man, I wish he was gay. Um, That, you know, I just, I really couldn't do it. So, yep, he cut them apart. I know Amanda can only see the photo and no one else can but oh they're huge i mean so i think any time that you would be able to shoot a deer of that size would, would be very successful yeah um but it would have been like a freebie he it's called an angle grinder he cut off an antler off each buck actually oh. so that's pretty cool too because now you know one doesn't have a whole other set of antlers on it so those those deer will absolutely strive and they will live for however many more years that they could live um, I have several questions. Do you know if he kept the antlers that he cut? He should have at least gotten something for his I know. I don't know. Effort. I didn't say it. I mean, I assume so. It's on his property anyway, so I'm assuming he, he probably kept it. Um, and do, this is a really dumb question. Do deer regrow their antlers? Like, yeah. will they, will yeah. they get those back? Yeah, so every year they fall off. In, oh, that's right. I did know that. You know, people, that's like a sport, people, that go out and try to literally find antlers that have fallen off. I think we know someone who had <laughs> antlers in their yard at some point in the last couple months. But, yeah, some those are fall off. They'll regrow them, you know, every year. and So it doesn't really hurt them at all that, no, that they lost an antler. So he literally saved two lives. Wow. And he really could have shot them both and been like, well, they were going to die anyway. Absolutely. And he probably would not have gotten in trouble. No, I would imagine so. Well, kudos to him and to the 90-year-old man who (laughs) decided to do something. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Episode one, season one of Polar Opposites. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye.